Let me take you by the hand and lead you through the streets of Edinburgh Festival Fringe. Hello and welcome again to the Ed Fringe podcast. I'm Barry Ferns, your host, and this is the third of three mega mixes, mashups of a lot of different interviews that are forthcoming over the weeks and months on the Ed Fringe podcast. In this mega mix, all the interviewees are talking roughly around the idea of shows they've seen, experiences in shows at the festival. And the people that I'm talking to are performers, reviewers, producers, people who have had experience at the Fringe over the last 40, 50 years, um, to right up to modern day. We've got Izzy Sooty, we've got, um, we've got Arthur Smith, Joe Wilkinson, Diane Morgan, Peter Buckley-Hill, who started the Free Fringe, Earl Oakin, Tony Law, Simon Munnery, Martin Soane, Nathan Caton, and uh, Kate Copstick, and uh, many, many more people before I run out of breath. Uh, I hope you enjoy this um, this mega mix, and uh, yeah, and it, I hope it serves to whet the appetite for the forthcoming interviews. Like, wet the whistle is that a thing? Um, it is a phrase. I don't know if it's a relevant phrase, but I hope it to, uh, serves to whet your appetite for the um, forthcoming interviews that are um, going to start next week. All right. Well, enjoy this mega mix, and I will see you on the other side for a brief sign off. Sayonara. Goodbye. bit off doing late shows last year as I get older I don't want to stay up so late and um but I had some amazing times doing the late show I loved it I had, I had a guy once um I was on stage and I was doing something about uh I think I'd been in Edinburgh about three weeks I was getting quite stressed end of festival time and I was doing stuff on the English, or so all the British, and this guy just went, you English went all over the world oppressing people, and I just lost it. I actually went, do you think you didn't come too? Do you not realise? I actually just read a thing on the number of Scottish governors of colonies in the West Indies, and I went, I'm fed up with this, oh, we're all brave heart. You're only up to your necks. I did, a, I did a rant on Scotland being really guilty over the empire. And uh, got a massive round of applause. It was one point. That is one of the awful things about stand-up, and it's getting worse. The audience. I mean, I'm sure that's terrible if you've been abused, but you've got to give the stand-up license to be talking about things that will affect you directly. And maybe if you, and, uh, yeah, if you are slightly offended, quietly go and look. But but there's not a thing about going. You know, I think I think people have got to realise they're stepping into a room into into a different place in stand-up. And you can't be going, you can't talk about cancer, my aunt's died of cancer. You can't because because you're being really hypocritical because what you've done is probably laugh at other stuff that doesn't affect you, you selfish bastard. That's what I've told Doug Stanhope to say. I get I get furious when people, I'm really angry today. I think it's this, I'm, sorry, I'm sitting at this office fuming, waiting for you to arrive. But, anyway, um, but you know, I think, I, I think it is, it, it is, audiences are so full of their own, the importance of their own tragedy and uh, they've got to, you've got to realise that people are you know when, when really good stand up is going to go to dark places that's the point of it to try and make things better to try and stimulate debate and the best stand up will do that and it anyway me. oh my best heckle was at Edinburgh University outside the festival this is a beautiful moment in comedy I was quite new supporting Ian Cognito <laughs> uh, yeah and uh, this is this is what 2000 something like that not like 2000 we're doing we're doing Pleasance, you know, the Edinburgh University, the, the, what is what is the um, cabaret bar at the uh, Pleasance, in the Pleasance? And this is where they do gigs for Edinburgh University outside festival time. And I'm doing a joke 
stupidly to students, probably, I'm doing a joke about suicide. It's a good joke about suicide. It's not about let's laugh at suicide. It's about attitudes to suicide. And I'm doing my suicide stuff, and this guy goes really self-consciously, can you change the subject, please? And I went, I was quite new, and I went, oh, oh, right, oh, dear, oh, right, okay, no, oh, no, what am I, oh, what? and I started dancing around the stage, going, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of, this is awkward, how am I going to get out of this awkward situation? Shall I, shall I say about people thinking I'm gay? And somebody else chimed in with, can you change the subject, please? And it brought the house down, and I was like, so I was put in trouble by an annoying, um, self-obsessed student, thinking that, please don't talk about suicide while I'm, as a comedy gig, you idiot. You know, if you're, someone close to you has committed suicide or whatever, or you feel suicidal while you're at a comedy gig, if, you, if you're in a desperate state over it, that's what Ian Cognito said to him afterwards. I wouldn't have said that. But, um, but he did this whole, you know, don't talk about it. And then the other guy saved me. I was just fantastic. Just to go, <laughs> has anybody got to warn you about being gay? And it just this other guy, you know, making fun of him. It was brilliant. So, I, love, I, love. I don't know. It's, it's, there is, there's something... I, I can't think of happy... I mean, in terms of I've nearly... One Perrier newcomer, that's great to go to the Perrier and being up for an award is brilliant. But for me, the, the best times have been a great show. Uh, when you have a great show and you feel like you've really gone through, you, your audience are with you all the way, you've really bonded with them, you've really interacted, you've, you've gone through an experience and, and you're in some you know, little room in Edinburgh. And I don't think anything beats that in comedy. I don't think, any, I don't think doing 2,000 people in, or doing an arena, I think there's, there's that closeness of going brilliant I've got people in they come to see a show they haven't been ripped off because Edinburgh is full of shows that are garbage and charging money and people are you know feeling angry that they've wasted their time seeing it but when you really think you've really worked hard at something and usually you've sweated your ass off I've lost some weight in Edinburgh through sweating in hot venues um, that's the biggest they're just going off and going oh I did a brilliant job tonight Yeah. Did you say about the first Edinburgh, the man that stood up? Oh, God. No, I didn't really want to talk about it. <laughs> what was that one? Our first show, first Edinburgh. It was basically it was two for one, so a lot of um, <laughs> sort of drunk locals came in. and uh, Basically, the, it was a bit in the show where Diane's getting chased to do this character, very funny character thing, so I'm on stage on my own, and um, this bloke says... Uh, Okay, like, uh, I think you're shit. I think you're shit. And, <laughs> and then, for and some you, reason, you said, I "I'm said, sorry." I'm sorry. What did you say? <laughs> so he repeated twice as loud. I think you said. Shit. I think you're shit. <laughs> and uh, we had we were reviewed. I've never we were reviewed that night, weren't we? By yeah. a couple of people. I've yeah. never read a review since. And uh, and then uh, he was quite chippy through the rest of it, wasn't he? And uh, we had we had twenty nine nights to go, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so constantly we've never ever read a review up there. No. It, uh, uh, Stefan Golanewski summed up Edinburgh. He goes, "Yeah, however your show, however your show is, whether it's a good show or bad show, or not a great show, whatever. Comparatively, you will have five great shows, five absolutely horrible shows, and everything else will fall in the middle." He's absolutely, absolutely right. right. Yeah. And, and, and everyone, so if you, you know, you, you'll have, you'll have a few where you go, that's brilliant, and then the next day you'll just have an absolute stinker, and then most of the time you go, oh, in the middle it was a bit, mm. a bit sticky, wasn't it? Mm. So even it, because I, you know, the last show we did together, I was really, I really liked that show, 
But still, blimey, it dies sometimes, doesn't it? But that's mm. everyone's show. Like the best show up in Edinburgh will die on its hold, and the worst show will have a crack. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, I guess so. I can't really remember. I've right, not okay. been back. Okay. And I don't go to the Pleasance much anyway, no. as a rule. Yeah. Ever since then, it tainted it for me. Yeah. I think you've got to be like a young, up-and-coming boy in a T-shirt type, or someone like that, or a hot young. Go to the Pleasance, get some, get some heat behind you. Whereas um, I try and opt out of all of that now, mm. and perform over at the stand, and then go over and see something that's unique or I haven't seen before. Mm. Uh, but it's usually not someone doing observations and stand-up comedy because I, yeah. I feel like I've heard everything that can be said, and I probably haven't. I mean, some people are brilliant at it, but it just mm. fucking bores me. Yeah. <laughs> And then, so no, I'll go see some freaks, see what the freaks are doing around town, usually yeah. at the underbelly, something like that. Well, or that's at the stand, a lot of older freaks at the stand, younger freaks at the underbelly. Have you got faith? Uh, and then at Free Fringe, loads of just freaks yeah. all across. Yeah, it's Freak Central. One person I haven't mentioned who's very important, and I can't remember where, because he's run it in various places, but it's a gentleman called Mervyn Stutter. Hmm. He, like me, does comedy with music, and he wasn't selling enough tickets to his own show, I think that was the reason for this, and he thought he'd run a sort of Michael Parkinson show of the Fringe, which he called, I don't know what he called, the best of the Fringe. I think he called it Merving Stutter's Pick of the Fringe. That's it. Yeah. Uh, this way he gets a free ticket to go and see any shows that he wants to, which is great for him. He wears a dreadful pink suit. And he can do some of his songs in the show every day. He can fill the place out. Hmm. And it's a very good service because, because he picks some of the best people around, you can go and see in an hour, you know, six really good bits of which we might say, I've enjoyed the show, but of those six, the one I really want to see is that one, number four. So it helps you, saves you money without you having to spend all the money seeing all of them to find that, yeah, it was all right, but it's not really my thing. But you might find something really you hadn't even thought about going to see because it's not just stand-up shows. It's all sorts of things. Modern dance, juggling could be in it. And he's given a really good service to the Fringe. I think it's the most important thing, now that the Fringe club isn't there anymore, it's the only place where without costing you any money you can do a little bit of your show and then you go outside and leaflet like mad yeah. afterwards yeah. that's the only one he's it's a really important service that he gives so i, I recommend anybody that they go and um, yeah. see mervyn stutter and yeah. um, and it was the first night it was a friday of week zero and i had own, it was a it was in the days when i could still do large venues that had a 150 seater before the big three got together and I got there and only two people had bought ticket two out of 150 I thought two that really is I can't go up to two I mean they'll be embarrassing so give them their money back or tell them to come another night this is how I was going to do that the Scotsman reviewer turned up I hadn't even decided what was going to be in my show yet I tended to spend a couple of days knocking it into shape oh no that's the wrong that's you know, put that one after that one and you know first two days when you have a small audience you can do that 
Oh, I had to go up because, you know, I couldn't not do. He hid at the back somewhere in the shadows, which I regard as just cowardice, really. And uh, the other two that actually paid were a married couple who were absolute diamonds. They sat either side of the aisle in the front row, so I'm looking straight at them. Did an hour and quarter to them. And they clapped after me, you know, every bit, and I would bow to all the people that weren't there and say, oh, thank you so much. And make, it became a sort of running joke because I've got to make them not feel embarrassed for me. Yeah. I might be fed up and miserable, but they mustn't feel it. They've paid their money, they've got to get the show. So I've got to get them not feeling embarrassed. My first job. So I did my day and it all worked out. Yes, and that, oh, thank you so much. And there's nobody there at all. Um, I do my, 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 my show. At the end of it, I take my bow, and these two go mental and demand an encore. <laughs> Which is great, so I gave them their encore. Well, three or four days later, the review came out, in the middle of week one, maybe the end of week one, because there's a lot of reviews done, it takes time. Oh, I had a five-star review. If he can do this to two people, I think what he can do to us. So, boom, you know. So it was a difficult hour and a quarter. But it paid dividends. You, know. you never can tell with Edinburgh. He's there. Uh, so yeah, there was one night. I mean, I certain I wouldn't say exactly who, but a relative of mine. It wasn't your aunt? Was she asleep in the audience? No, it wasn't. She still hasn't made it. Well, actually, it was six o'clock on a Friday evening, so it wasn't that late, and the show was about to start. And one of the the, the audience ushers said. Just to warn you, there's a man in there who is extremely drunk. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, yeah, I know who he is. I'm related to him. <laughs> and uh, he was at that point where, you know, you get so drunk, you don't even know if you're thinking something or saying it. Yeah. That level of drunkenness. <laughs> this was six o'clock at night. You think a bit of, a bit of work. Um, but it certainly made it, it made for uh, a good, energetic, interesting gig. Did you out him as a relative? in the gig did you say Uncle Roddy's in this week tonight uh, no I mean there was quite a few relatives in so they all knew who he was and I think everybody else thought he was a, an over exuberant fan which I think he was <laughs> <laughs> he'd celebrated going to see your show by having like a bottle of whiskey beforehand uh, um, I believe we made a joke about this but I believe he had had a half bottle of whiskey on the way to Edinburgh and then had gone on a pub crawl prior to <laughs> arriving at the venue he'd made it that, I mean, that's amazing <laughs> that he'd made it, it absolutely because the... I um, remember sometimes once having a few drinks and then not making some make sure like, oh, yeah. I've let the time slip that's pretty amazing to get there on time yeah that's like that drunk uh, you know that uh, that homing kind of thing that that, that you sometimes get to, mm. to get home mm. but uh, he made it to your gig <laughs> maybe that'd be nice if you could some way kind of get drunken people to come to, to congregate at your gigs <laughs> an entirely different type of gig well, how was the gig so it was it was an okay gig because he was so out of it that you oh, it was a fun gig I think it was one of the more fun ones actually because it was a real it was full and there was a real energy about it and uh, it felt it felt uh, exciting and, mm. um, and that was armchair renaissance man yeah I used to go and watch Leighton live at the Gilded Balloon a lot and one of the first 
live gigs I ever saw was late and live with Ross Noble comparing. And then I remember seeing Johnny Vegas there another time. And it was just, it was absolutely incredible. It was like, um, that was one of the things that made me want to do stand-up. Because it was like, people say that opera is the highest form of art because, I don't know why, but they say it is. But that experience of watching Johnny Vegas was almost heavenly, like opera. It was like, I was moved, it sounds mad, but I was moved sort of beyond... I felt like I, I felt like my life would never be the same again. I probably had like three pints of Stella or whatever, but I'd watched plenty of things. I mean, had three pints of Stella and not felt anything at all. And and I I think Johnny Vegas is one of the best comics ever, you know. And I met him recently, and I told him about that experience of seeing him because what what he does it it's so it's like a cry from the soul of humanity and so funny at the same time. I think that's my favourite type of comedy. That, Phil Kay and John Gordillo and Terry Alderton and um, and Josie, but it's weird to say your mates, but it, where it feels like really taps into some kind of um, profound, sad thing about being a human. So that happened on Cowgate when and I was very sad when that burnt down the Gilded Balloon. You know, I really it like. If you'd asked me then when it was around what building, I'd say my formative experience of Edinburgh and it would definitely be that building. Like, Because my friend, one year my friend went out with the bar manager there, so we used to go, we used to hang out there the whole time. Like it was, um, we just used to go there and watch everything that was on. Uh, one of Malcolm's most famous stunts, he was very famous for his stunts, one of his most famous stunts was the tractor incident, where he was performing in a... This is was typical of Edinburgh. There was a, a venue called a hole in the ground, which was exactly what it said. It was a hole in the ground. They were building something somewhere. They might even have been the Traverse Theatre, I think. Uh, but the, the hole in the ground had three tents in it, sort of a daddy tent, mummy, mummy tent, a baby tent. And Malcolm was in one of the tents. Emma Thompson, the actress, was in another tent before she became famous. And in the third tent, there was performance artist Eric Bogusian, uh, who later made um, a talk radio, uh, a feature film. Uh, and Eric Bogusian was a bit precious, the way the, way the story is told. Uh, and because the three tents were very close together, there was a sound overlap. So at, at a quiet bit in Malcolm's show and in Emma Thompson's show, Eric Bogusian would, would play very loud rock music, uh, hard metal music, which really annoyed both Emma Thompson and Malcolm. And Malcolm, strangely, was a bit sort of paternal. And he felt a bit sorry for Emma and he felt a bit pissed off for himself. Uh, so he, eventually uh, he asked Eric to tune it down a bit and uh, he didn't. So Malcolm got rather annoyed. So uh, in, the, in this, this building site that was the, the hole in the ground, there was apparently, this was before my time, apparently there was a tractor, uh, like a JCB-type tractor. Uh, and Malcolm obviously was naked uh, in his show. And so he got on the tractor naked and persuaded his entire audience to come out of his tent. Uh, uh, and he drove the tractor naked through the middle of Eric Bogosian's show, uh, pursued by his entire audience, and then out the other side. Eric wasn't pleased with this. And a bit later on, uh, uh, he, he came round and there was, there was much uh, smashing of furniture, as the, the way the story is told. And I think he actually hit Martin Soon, one of the other greatest show and legs performers, because Martin was naked, and he assumed if it was a naked man, it must be the same naked man who was on the tractor. But of course, in Malcolm's shows, everybody was naked. 
so that was one legendary uh, stunt. Years later, I heard from uh, Malcolm's then-girlfriend uh, that uh, she'd been in the audience that night, so I think he might have been showing off to his girlfriend. I suppose for Malcolm Har- the reason Malcolm and Hardy and I got on well was that we both had a taste for the bizarre, Mrs., uh, and uh, so we would much rather see uh, an interesting show than a good show, in a sense. So both of us, I think, liked shows that were roller coasters. Uh, there's one now fairly famous male comedian, English, uh, who uh, who used to be very, very, very variable. Uh, so maybe 80% of his show was a bit ordinary and not really up to very much. Maybe 15% was fairly good and 5% was genius and it was worth going to see that performer for the 5% that was genius uh, or it was worth it to me so I was prepared to sit through 80% that wasn't very good to see the 5% genius and so was Malcolm we both, both liked that sort of show um, definitely spank um, that's a is that underbelly? yeah yeah spank yeah. Um, first time I did spank uh, 2009, there was a section called the Naked Review. Naked like that. Promo. That's the one. Naked Promo, yeah. Where someone um has to get naked. Well, they get to promote their show, but they have to do it naked. And I, I, I was thought, it can't be real. It's just got to be, maybe he'll have on a vest and some boxes. But no, he was he was genuinely naked. Um, this, this, this old guy, um, he had a book um, where he was reading his show that he's doing and stuff, but he, he had it over his his genital parts, so he couldn't see anything. So I thought, ah, oh, he's, he's copying out, right? And then he goes, um, "I'm having trouble seeing, so I'm gonna lift the book a bit closer." And he lifted it, revealing his genitals, and the whole crowd went, "And I remember thinking, what the hell is going on? Like this is this is meant to be an arts festival, <laughs> um, and this guy's got his his penis out in front of everyone." Um, yeah, that was probably the wildest thing I've seen and then I saw um, the guys who run Spank as well um, I saw I think he got naked another Leon's time Leon's always getting naked yeah it must have been Leon then um, yeah just oh man and it's the thing is whenever like so whenever someone's getting naked in a show at Edinburgh whenever I've been there it's always been someone who I don't want to see naked like it's never like a young beautiful woman it's always like you know an older guy like no offence to Leon or the other guy but I want to see a woman get naked for once. I remember seeing a show, and there's one like one scene where he's in like this um chain, that like S and M chains kind of thing, and this dominatrix has got like a like a hose pipe thing up his bum, and she must have pressed some button and stuff, and it sucks air, and then you just see like all the that shit and all the nasty. Part of his show. Yeah. It was just about random, disgusting things that he's done or that he's experienced. And it's like a flush, just all just comes out of him. And it's like, oh, it was, it was a nasty show, but it was like, it was one of the shows where it was so nasty you couldn't take your eyes away. Yeah. So just enjoyed it. But yeah, um, 2011, I saw Andrew Maxwell. Um, he's doing his set, he's in a set in a club, in a nightclub, and he got heckled. And, uh, he was Maxwell was taking him down, and then something happened. I can't remember what happened. Where uh, Maxwell asked him something, and because he'd been slammed, he got really annoyed. Didn't say anything, and then I remember um, Maxwell 
standing up on like a glass table, which is like, it's a party table, it's the kind of table you don't want to damage or anything. And just doing a set, shouting at this guy, like giving total abuse. And like, if there was any other night, he probably would have got kicked out for, you know, damaging their property or whatever. Um, and yeah, that, that was, um, that's the kind of show where it's all, what the hell is going on? Um, but in Edinburgh, that made perfect sense. It was like, yeah, just, that's part of the show. Um, that's probably something that kind of just, yeah, just wraps up Edinburgh. The unusual becoming usual. One of the salutary lessons, one of the salutary lessons of going to Edinburgh for comics who are used to the more bare pit clubs of the, maybe the 80s and 90s, more so than now, um, is that you forget your peril that unless you're playing that sort of atmosphere in Edinburgh, that in a venue, uh, people have bought a ticket to see you. Because I remember my very first show up there, I'm off like a train, you know, thinking I've just, you know, don't leave any gaps, don't let them get in, you know. I don't want any calls of, you know, naff off or, you know, get, get on with it. And halfway through, I think, why am I steaming along? This audience is sitting there and they're actually relaxed. They're looking at me going, go on, do it. I've paid to see you. You're not part of a bill. I've paid to see you. And any act, either starting out or established, they've paid to see you. So, um, and they're going, show me what you got, do it. Unless you're at 12 o'clock in a, you know, in a booze or somewhere, then you're going to get drunken people heckling you and all the rest of it, or late and live, you know. But mostly the venues are calm, pleasant, well-organised, with people who've come in to see you. And they want to hear your hours worth. If you're not very good, they might get a bit shuffly and noisy, but mostly they're nice people who want a nice, they've paid money, they want to get quality out of it. I frequented late in life, um, but I never, I, it's not my thing. Um, um, no. and, and I loved it. I, it it's, it's quite polite these days, I think. I mean, it was really f- full-on aggressive stuff. Um, you know, yeah. And that's another bit of it, of the fringe, isn't it? You have your polite, people will sit and listen. And then you, if you want to get your rocks off, just go and see someone destroyed or succeed. Um, yeah, that was that was fun, and still is. I still pop in, and I went up in 1975, <clears throat> and um, it was just great because it was very fringy. It was. Um, I remember uh, Miles Kington, who used to write the, um, the the witty, humorous column in the Independent, uh, was able to provide me on the 50th of the fringe, I think it was, um, with because I wanted to do something on the celebration of that particular anniversary. He provided me an A4 sheet of paper typed uh, and it had the shows and it wasn't the first fringe but it was very close to the first fringe and, and you could get them all on a sheet of a4 paper now i think it's 2800 this year and it's a telephone directory i mean it is con- when it arrived in the post it's considerably thicker this year frighteningly thicker really um because the competition increases obviously with the more shows but it, the truth is it you know i do say it's all about you know getting things out of it, Edinburgh. But you wouldn't go if it wasn't. The, the main reason is to go and do a show you love and express yourself. And, and you know, that's, that's the biggest achievement for me. Diff- with different people, all roads end at Munnery. <laughs> of Edinburgh. But obviously you used to hang out with um, Malcolm um, Hardy a lot. 
yeah. at, at, at that time. And um, was it true that you drove a, as a way of <laughs> you drove a tractor? He did. He yeah. drove a tractor yeah, into somebody else's show. Eric Bogosian. That yeah. annoyed him. Was this? Yeah, there been some sort of dispute. It was in some tents <laughs> on the meadows, I believe. And okay. So Malcolm got, got a tractor. Uh, and got himself driven naked okay. on the front of, of this tractor. I think it was a forklift truck, actually, I'm not, not sure, but driven naked through Eric Bogosian's show with the audience from his show because Eric Bogosian would be complaining about, I don't know, some sort of dispute had gone on. Uh, yeah, he did that. And um, did I, Apparently. You used to have a, a car drive on at the end of... Um, attention, uh, it, was it the year that Garth Marenghi was on at the Pleasance? Uh, did you... No, it's for the. Uh, it was for the South We had a plan to have this. Had this. Uh, um, um, Robin Reliant. The plan was to have it dragged on by people with ropes. Okay. Spray paint it gold and drag it on, and we sort of sitting on the roof mm. as a sort of chariot. Uh, but, but me and Richard Thomas, we drove it up from Edinburgh, from London to Edinburgh. It took 15 hours. <laughs> on uh, the Robin Reliant. It, yeah, it was. Mm. It, it was te- most terrifying, but exciting. Journey to Edinburgh. <laughs> Every time a lorry went past you on the A1, you'd be sh- you'd just shake. You'd be like, oh, not the ditch! Oh, right. And it was not wasn't a very good condition, Robin Reliant. Every time we pulled into a petrol station to fill up, it would it would never start. It would never start. It would always start cold. It would never start hot. So we had to push it from the petrol pumps, wait for an hour till it cooled down, get back in, and then you could do 35, 40. If you're going over 40, you were taking a risk. Uh, the window fell out. In um, just past nor nor uh, in in Northumberland coast, past Newcastle, there's sort of a bit where it's, the ha comes in and it's it's just fog. <laughs> anyway, so there's fog inside and freezing cold. And we got arrived at dawn, uh, uh, and we got the keys to this flat we went to be in. But the <laughs> woman was still there. She wasn't meant to be. We, we were trying to open the door. This, this woman in pink, very very pink uh, dressing gown. What do you want? And we know we meant to. We meant to not till 12 o'clock slam so we are <laughs> great right. so we drove up Arthur's seat uh, right. and with it with the radiator singing like a kettle I remember going what's that noise <laughs> it's the radiator so we stopped at the top of our seat obviously couldn't start again till it cooled, <laughs> cooled down. down had a lovely breakfast and then when we finally got it to the venue uh, too wide wouldn't fit in the doors oh no <laughs> <laughs> drove it back again <laughs> Were you driving up gold as well on the motorway? No, it was yellow at that stage, but we had gold spray paint ready to do it. It seemed pointless painting it and then transporting it. Okay. Then I think I was in the comedy zone. Okay. First comedy zone. Was that the first comedy zone? I was in the first one. Who was in that with you? They're all dead now. <laughs> uh, Lewitt Stee. Don't know what happened to him. Lewitt, they, they're Lewitt not Stee. Don't know what happened to him. Uh, presumably still going somewhere. Lewitt Stee. Yeah. Lewitt Stee. I think he's got some. He used to talk long paragraphs stuff it was interminable but you know hilarious yeah. um chris and george uh they, they were a double act you know, a lot of double acts around <laughs> those times uh and mark lamar mark lamar yeah. hammer time <laughs> and we, we we took twenty thousand pounds at the box office totally sold out we made 40 quid each <laughs> i remember mark lamar's face when when he was told he was going to get 40 quid after a month <laughs> a month's comparing a sold out gig yeah. he just unbelief <laughs> disbelief I think is the word but it was actually unbelief it was worse so I used to think where I used to take my audience out and into Jenny Eclair's show and uh, out her as a lesbian I believe <laughs> uh, but show my, to show our support for her right. but it, it turned out the twist because we were sharing a flat the twist was she, she 
you just didn't fancy me. So, so I come out and do my old routine about supporting lesbians in front of her, her audience, my audience, all crammed into this routine. No, no, I'm not a lesbian. I just don't fancy you. And then I'll hit I'll, 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 we'll go. That was fun. Nice. Because it's stressful, you know, particularly when you're on the, uh, uh, one of the larger agencies that shall not be named, um, <laughs> one of their uh, uh, work for debt schemes, yeah. where, whereby you, you know, you put your heart and soul into a thing to owe money. I mean, it started off as a sort of, you know, 50% break even, 60% break even, 70, 90, 100%. Oh, what? So what? Even if I sell out every ticket, I shall lose money. And in a way, that's kind of noble, isn't it, to go, to go forward. But what? But then you don't think. What you don't think of is, right? Okay, I'm I'm spending money. I'm losing money. <laughs> and uh, I remember this one woman came on and her act, her act was just like, "Are you looking at my tits? Are you look?" <laughs> and we weren't until she said that. And then well, then you're kind of left in a, does she want us to? What a, what a, you're looking at my tits. <laughs> That's all it was for about 10 minutes. He went off and, hey, well done, because we appreciate everyone having the courage to get up and perform. <laughs> it seemed quite, uh, so we doing some odd poetry and I don't know what it was. An annual general meeting thing, which was to get the audience put in suggestions and uh, to stop myself doing old material. Mm. The aim. And did you find, did you, to do that, did you deliberately say, no, I'm not going to do any new material or I will use bits of material to rescue bits that's kind of not. Inevitably, you, 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 some bits will call in but it, the first one definitely was almost all made up and then mm. gradually as the years passed I'd do like whatever I'd written that year plus mm. audience suggestions so it'd be a mixture of like some sketches and bits of monologue and a couple of poems and, uh, and whatever I made up at the time okay. so it was a sort of compromise in that sense uh, but it was still enough but the other one was I had was you know people put in suggestions and then you'd sort of be obliged to deal with them <laughs> and you'd always have like far too many to deal with well the first time I did it, it was like seven people it was fine and then uh, uh, about three days later I came and there was a hundred people it was full uh, I didn't know why and it was kind of a tense atmosphere and I, so I had a hundred bits of paper with things written on them and I, was, and I just started reading them out and I, was, oh, no, I don't know no time oh, quick next one uh, and uh, the reason there were a hundred people was to get a five star review which meant all the five star review people reviewer readers had come mm. and they're the worst audience because yeah. they, they want to hiding to nothing mm. uh, it's never going to be that exciting is it uh, and, uh, and of course uh, and then it got a two star review because uh, someone reviewed that show which was basically <laughs> he invites you to write things down and he reads them out <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the show which it was so then gradually got sort of a, uh, it took me two years or three years to realise that the show doesn't have to end when the time slot ends so I deal with as many as I feel comfortable take my time Mm. do three or four or five maybe and then take the audience out to the pub across the road or an art gallery or the park and do the rest of them and sometimes it went on for like another three and a half hours to, you know till every till every motion had been gone yeah. we'd up, like, people had to drift off to eat and do other see other shows or do other shows we ended up like so it was just down to like two or three people and mm. the last one we, we did didn't have somebody waiting <laughs> just to hear their motion kind of bought no no I wonder whether that happened. I don't not remember. It was just like it, it, it would gradually whittle down. People yeah. drift off. And you just take each each idea as far as you felt that you could, and then yeah, with no sort of feeling of time. Some some you just go nah, you know. Sometimes just you know, someone's been rude or something. Yeah. I didn't feel obliged to spend a long time on it, but yeah. I didn't didn't like that feeling of shit. I've got a hundred things to go through and no time. That's yeah. awful. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
I'm not going to do this as well as it could be done. Or, or you, you know, you're going to go through them all, but they've all written something down. They feel kind of there's a sort of bad feeling about that. If you've asked people to write something down, you should at least look at them all. Mm. And yet, I didn't, I didn't have any situation where I could do that. Normally, you know, John Hegley might do a poetry competition or something, and you organise, you have an interval, and you you have a look over the sort interval, it. and you sort out the ten best ones or something like that. That's mm. fair enough. So you first went up in two, uh, 1978, was it? 77. 77, okay. Yeah, that's right. I was and on a show called Swing Along and Dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two hours, 50p. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's better than the free fringe these days. You yeah, yeah. Like a, but in a, so in an old school, Sean Connery's old... Uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Is, uh, the, I think it's called the James Gillespie school or something yeah and it yeah. was in the, it was on holiday they were on holiday where was it so where was the school where is it it, it, it was somewhere off the Lothian road uh, no it was kind of it was between um, like um, sort of Asher Hall and and the Haymarket sort of in that area okay yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I can't to be honest I can't quite remember where it was it was in an obscure little <laughs> street it was in Edinburgh yeah it's, uh, some of my venues have been like that as well the first yeah. year that I went up. And the first year, you know, we had three people on the first night. And, uh, yeah, yeah. That sort of stuff. Three people, well done. You know, yeah, you, you well, had friends in Edinburgh. My brother yeah, yeah. and his two friends. But his wife it. had to be and a friend. Yeah. Yeah. But, you, but uh, as you were saying, right, you. Um, so of the years, how many years have you say you've been up? Well, I, been I, apart, there, in that, since then, there have been only three years when I didn't go at all. Right. So, what's that? I mean, do the math, but that's... That's 22, 32, 32 years. Yeah. Yeah, I think. And the years I didn't go, I, I was kind of felt bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a school year, isn't it? It's like you, yeah. you get used to, on on August. Yeah. If you're not in Edinburgh at some point, yeah. I, I found that I live my life by that yeah. metronome. Yeah, like, I do. I measure out my life by Edinburgh festivals. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. You know, if I have to think... What the hell was I doing in 1986? Hang on, what was I doing in Edinburgh? Is that the pub? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I once had a man pour a pint of urine over me in there, in that pub. In Finnegan's Wake? Yeah. Whilst doing the gig? Yeah, I was on stage, and I mean, the audience, it was, it was, I think it was when there was a lot of heroin in Edinburgh. And this guy, I mean, the audience was completely fucking out of it, everyone. Uh, and this guy totted up with a, what, you know, a glass of yellowish liquid. And I was wearing, funny enough, a new suit I'd just been given by a girlfriend who was there. And it just like chucked it over me. And what you forget about urine is it's warm. It was warm and sticky. And, and I'd seen him as well, you know, pissing into a pint. <laughs> it really made me laugh, actually. I mean, I didn't really... And the guys, I said, oh, that's a bit much. And he, he, to be fair to him, he was doing it as a tribute. In his eyes, that was a sweet thing to do, to pour his urine over me. So I forgave, I forgave him. And funny enough, I had to go from that. I know, I'd been, just before that gig, at some TV show where it was the usual, you know, your sort of people patting you down and PA, you know, and minders looking after you and would you like a cup of tea, Mr Smith? I went from that to a drunk pouring urine over so I kind of thought it was a good sort of pair of extremes for the night. I love the idea that... Yeah, well, I always, whenever people say, what's your worst heckle? I say, well, a bloke poured a pint of urine over me. It tends to... Uh, that happened. That's yeah. a fact.
Yeah, 2005. I did a uh, show called The Comedy Bucket okay. with um, <laughs> power, power title. Um, with Arnold Chander, uh, Dave Nichols, Alstick, and Matthew Crosby. Uh, and we, in the Meadows Bar, uh, part of the Free Fringe, the first year of the Free Fringe, I believe. And um, yeah, it was, I wouldn't say it was a flying success. People turned up, there was a degree of apathy, and they left, I think. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good first ever show. Yeah, turned up. yeah. It was just apathy. Oh, not an amazing amount of people, but it was free, and it was in the same room as the toilets. Come on. And there you go, a little bit of a summary or insight into different people's experiences of shows at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe over the years. Uh, For all things Ed Fringe podcast and for extra bits of video and fuller unedited interviews, go to uh, Patreon forward slash Barry Ferns. That's me, uh, Barry Ferns. I'm the person making this. And um, yeah, and if you like it, rate it in some way. Uh, Give it a thumbs up on some kind of uh, one of the many portals that come out of your phone slash desktop slash laptop um, TV eyes whatever and uh, have a lovely week and I'll see you on the other side of the week bye everyone join the Patreon join the Patreon Ed Fringe Podcast Ambient Tales for Traumatised Children The Podcast The Barry Anthology The Barry Anthology Join it Join it. If you like what he does, support Barry. From just three pounds a month. All of them. Join Barry. Ambient tales for traumatized children. The Barry Anthology. The End Fringe Podcast. Join it. Join it today. If you like Barry, support Barry. Be Barry's Peggy Goon. Be a patron of the arts. Of the Barry Arts. <laughs>